This is an ABC podcast. G'day there, Sammy J here. Welcome to this week's Snack Pack. Welcome back to the long-time listeners and welcome to the first-time listeners. Everyone's welcome here. Here's how it's going to roll. I'll talk, you'll listen, and then we'll all get on with our lives. But hopefully, we'll have some fun in the meantime. I'll tell you what, I've had 10 years of fun watching Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell, which is coming to an end. Huge moment. Sean's going to join us to talk about that. Plus, Tim Minchin. Well, it's been over 10 years, too, since he wrote Matilda, the musical. It's now available in picture book form. Plus, coming up as a movie, Tim will drop by. And then a very special guest will be talking about beige flags. We all know what a red flag is, right? If you're on a date, those of you who are on the dating scene, and someone says something a little bit off, it's a sign. It's a sign that maybe they're not compatible. But what about beige flags? They're the more subtle signs. They're the more subtle signs that someone might just be a little bit boring. What is the thing for you that completely logs you out of a conversation? Like if you're sitting around a dinner table or you're at a cafe and you're chatting to someone and then they start talking about a particular topic, what is the thing that makes your eyes glaze over? Like for me, not going to lie, if you know me, this will come as no surprise. If someone starts talking about NRL, after about three seconds, this is what I hear in my head. Maybe for you it's a different sport. Maybe for you it's musical theatre, in which case we might not be friends. But we're talking about beige flags on the podcast today and so much more. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. Oh, I just don't care about people's D&D campaigns. D&D, as in Dungeons and Dragons? Yep, yep, it's fine, it's great. Adults doing creative things, (laughs) people thinking outside the box and socialising and having fun. I just don't care. (laughs) This is the Sammy J Snack Pack. Well, after 10 years and 170 episodes, Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell is finishing up next week, leaving a gaping hole both in the hearts of comedy lovers and in the ABC's weekly programming schedule. But Sean McAuliffe isn't going gentle into that good night. He'll be raging until the last, and in a moment we'll find out about the hill that he's prepared to die on. But first, Sean, welcome to the Snack Pack. What are you going to do for the last show? Essentially, we burned all the material that we had sitting on the shelf. There is nothing left. I, th- I wanted to do this because I, I didn't want to be do a lazy show where we just go, oh, well, we're just, we've got half an hour here sitting there, gathered over 10 years. And there are sketches that we recorded 10 years ago that have not gone to air. All the safety sketches in case you got sick. As it turned out, yeah, that's what they are. And that would have been amusing to say, well, here we go. Because that's how news works. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you. You've probably got it here too. If you're, uh, you're a bit short, you might have some interview with somebody. Play the package. In fact... Is this pre-recorded? You're probably yeah, going to use it. This is, this we're we're recording this in 2013. Kevin Rudd is still the Prime Minister. <laughs> so, so look, it's come in handy at mm-hmm. some point, uh, and you're playing it now, and that's great. And you'd, But it would have been amusing, I think, just for us, I suppose, not for the audience, to have seen everybody 10 years younger. I mean, Tosh Greenslade, who's in the cast, he, he was 22 years old. When he, now he's your father at 32, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm, I was 50 when I started. I think I just turned 50. Maybe my birthday was was during the season, and now I'm 60 years old, you know? Does that make you reflective? Like, this is actually, as I say, not just one or two years of your life, it's a whole chunk of your actual existence that you have dedicated to yeah, this creation. Yeah, yeah, there's something about that decade. It's something about that block. Uh, 11 years, it, sorry to fact check you, it was I, 11 I, I, years, I, I, I decade. Your pardon, yes, no, mm. my mind's going. Uh, yeah, look, I'm sentimental about it. I, the show isn't sentimental. I, I think the good thing about the show is that it doesn't really care about itself. 
you know, it has no sense of itself. And mm-hmm. I, I would, lo- I would hate the idea of going on next week and showing <laughs> clips of what we regarded as our precious moments. That's and, what friends are for. Playing yeah, behind look, it. you know, we're just simply not going to do that. It's good, it's like a regular show. And what we've done is we, as I've said, we've just burned everything. So it'll be like it was in the very first week where we had to write that week. And that's what happens every week. We write whatever's happening. Uh, you are listening to the voice, of course, of Sean McCullough. It's a bit Madison. low, isn't it? It's, it's a bit That's low, good. my voice. No, I, it's, 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 it's unmistakable. Yes, I know. It's, I would urge everybody to okay. Kenneth, yes, I know, yes. Well, Sean, you get to choose then which character or, or voice <laughs> you want to put on as I invite you to address the troops now in, oh, yes. in, in the minutes we have remaining because this is, of course, your chance to vent your spleen. Okay. What is the petty... The petty little gripe, the thing that you bail people up at a party and whinge about nonstop, what's the hill that you're prepared to die on today? Well, I have no principles and there's not much really that I would be prepared to die on. I thought that about you. I would if I, any hill or the hill... I just wouldn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, I wouldn't bother. Can I coax you down to the bottom of the hill? You can just die in a ditch if you want. I wouldn't. No. Well, but I did think about this because because it's you. Mm-hmm. I did treat the question seriously. Mm-hmm. And I have had a career riddled riddled with uh, failure and, um, you know, minor success momentarily. Uh, but it has been a full career. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is one thing that I would never do. I would do anything, anything <laughs> at all to earn money and to, you know, be seen on television, but one thing I would never do is appear on The Masked Singer. Oh, I would never do that. I know you might do that because you you you're a musician. Wow, and you can sing, you can sing, but I would never do that. And you know the reason I, I would never do that because it's like you know, if you're lucky, you know, it's a few weeks and you get paid per week. Yeah, but you have to be in a costume and you're never seen. Mm. And the only time you're seen is, uh, and I haven't seen that, I haven't watched the show, uh, you have to take your head off at some point, don't you? Yeah, I think you reveal it. Yes. Right, you, that's right. That's well, the thing. That's the only time you're seen. It's at the end. Either when you've been called out or or you're kicked out because you're not good enough. Yeah, yeah. there's only one reveal that's a triumphant reveal, isn't there? That's it's right. Winner. Yeah. Chances are you, the moment in which the audience sees you is the moment of vainglory or, or failure. So why would you do it? I, I, I'm curious. I mean, is Have it a management done? question? No, no, I haven't been asked. Yeah, and I don't think I, I don't think I would do it. I've got a sneaking suspicion that they're not the people inside the costumes and they only turn up just for that Darth Vader moment at the very end. Well, maybe. Although we, Rob Mills, a friend of the program, yes. he, he, he was doing it whilst doing something uh, with us and was very... Very mum, very secret about what his plans were. Oh, so he did the whole thing. Well, well he, 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 he has no dignity. Maybe you need a Rob, better manager, though. Maybe they should put that figure that you said they get paid per episode. Yes. It should just be, no, it'll be $5 million regardless of how far you get. Yeah, and you don't have to do it, and you just turn up at the very end, yep. like David Prowse. No, David Prowse was Darth Vader, and he <laughs> wasn't, you couldn't see his face. It was somebody else, What if it? you did a Sean McAuliffe suit, so it looks like you, and then it was someone else inside? Oh, Is that okay. a good at, way of getting publicity? It, it's, you could just, license out your image. It's just easier if you do it. Um, Sammy, when people say, oh, it is what it is, I, I, in a conversation, when people say it is what it is, I just want to shoot them. It's just like, you're kidding. You're giving up, mate. Why don't we have a further conversation? Oh, no, no, it is what it is. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, what's that all about? It just so, seems crazy. I want to know how long you're in the Northern Territory for, Andrew. Oh, in and out. So um, in and out of Darwin to, to uh, a place near Borroloola, which is just near the Gulf. A lot of travel, Andrew, but I guess, you know, it is what it is. You're listening to the Sammy J Snack Pack. Alita Bryden runs the site Bad Dates of Melbourne, which shares all sorts of horror stories from the dating scene in Melbourne and 
beyond. And lately there's been a bit of talk about beige flags. Uh, Alita, what exactly is a beige flag in this context? Oh, such a great question. So a beige flag is essentially a sign that your date could be a little bit boring or uninteresting. So we mostly see them in dating app profiles. So essentially if you're swiping and you see someone who's described themselves in a way that the 10 people before have as well, that's a beige flag. So things that are kind of like dating app stereotypes, the size they're a little bit boring. So for example, if you're looking at a dating app profile and they're using an icebreaker that they found on Google, what do you think of pineapple on pizza? Coriander, what do you think of that? All of those things, absolute beige flags, because you know you're going to get on the date and they're not going to have much to talk about. Oh, <laughs> this, is, this is ruthless, Alita. Isn't that just all people just trying not to be offensive and trying to say, hey, I'm a bit normal, I can talk about pineapple on pizza? Oh, well, absolutely. They are great conversation topics, but at the end of the day, dating apps are pretty competitive. And I think if you're doing your dating app profile, that's your chance to show that you are a special, unique, interesting person. So take that opportunity and, you know, tell the world uh, what makes you special because, you know, we've all got something about us that is individual. So, you know, you don't need to use those icebreakers from Google or whatever. You know, the, the best way to put your best foot forward is to talk about you and yourself and what you like. So by avoiding all of those stereotypes, you really are going to meet someone who is the best match for you. Alita, it is so much pressure. We're all working away. We're trying to pay rent or mortgage. <laughs> Petrol's going up. There's COVID still around. And now you're saying we have to become expert authors in creativity to make sure we look like the most utterly unique person on the planet. My gosh. You know what, though? You already are. Like, give yourself some credit. Like, everybody has something about them that is interesting. And it's quite easy. Like, for example, if you like to travel, just say where you've been, why you enjoyed it, where you'd like to go next. If you like food, what's your favourite food? What's your favourite restaurant? It's just taking that one little step further. So that one little step to make conversation a little bit easier. If you were to create a pizza from scratch, what would you put on it, for example? example, rather than just the pineapple discussion? Yes, that is an absolutely fantastic question. I can tell you already, as much cheese as possible. <laughs> just cheese. The four just cheese, cheese mix and a little bit of crust. from the supermarket. Yep. Love it. <laughs> so is there a risk, though, in trying to be non-beige, you become just totally whack? Like, I'm sure I fear that if I was on a dating app, I'd be just trying, like, to, like a real loser to be quite funny and quirky, and, and I'd just, like, write myself out of contention in my bio. You know, I think the best advice I can give you, well, not that you're on dating apps, but the best advice I can give is to be your authentic self. And if you are a bit of a weirdo or <laughs> if you've loser. got something you'd be, if you were, oh, well, you know, uh, if you've got something unique about you, just be, be yourself and, you know, be yourself and that's the best you can be. If you try to be someone else, I mean, you're going to get a match that doesn't fit you. Yes. So if you've got something weird about you, just go for it. Be a weirdo and run with it. Well, just because we're told that life's not fair doesn't mean that you should have to grin and bear it. If you always take it on the chin and wear it, nothing will change. So sings the main character in the smash hit musical Matilda. But what happens when you strip away the music and let the lyrics stand alone? Well, as you just heard with my stunning rendition, it still works really well. The picture book is called Sometimes You Have to Be a Little Bit Naughty. It's got beautiful illustrations by Steve Anthony and words by the composer and lyricist of Matilda and so much more, the wonderful Tim Minchin. Welcome to the Snack Pack, Tim. Hey, I want to know first, when you go back to songs from Matilda after over a decade, do you ever think, oh, I'd like to change that little bit here or there? I think um, not much, to be honest, partly because... 
Um, I think I was in a good place in my brain and career and I think I did a good job. Um, partly because when you write a musical for someone like the Royal Shakespeare Company, there's two years of workshop. So you, you've done all that, um, the revisions of the revisions. There, there's a few lyrics I would do something different with now in, in Miracle, in the opening number. And I actually had the opportunity to do that because the movie of the musical is about to come out. And I, not just the opportunity, but I was obliged to change some stuff because we needed to cut time out of things and I needed to bridge stuff. And I got to write a new song for that film as well. So I have sort of gone back into it. But mostly it, it's a funny thing that, like, it's an artefact of of itself you know i don't feel compelled to muck around with it because it you know what i mean it is yep. what it is and it it was what it was and it should stay that way because it's an artifact of the time and place in which i wrote it you once said and i'm not sure if you're ripping this off or whether it was from your brain itself but art is what you did in the time you had which has stuck with me so much because of course tell someone to write a novel in 20 years and they'll just never do it but tell them to write it in, in yeah. three weeks and they'll deliver you a manuscript I'll deliver you something. Yeah, I think it was Matthew Warchus, who's the director of Matilda the Musical and Groundhog Day and my dear friend. Uh, I think he, I don't know where he got it from, but he said art is an art, you know, what, what, what you make is an artefact of what you did in the time you had. And I, and it really stuck with me and I'm glad it stuck with you. It, it, it sort of seems so simple, but there's, it's profound, right? Because, because you, art is never finished and you just have to let it be an artefact of the time. I'm chatting to Tim Minchin, composer of Matilda, which is, of course, coming out soon as a movie as well. Right now, one song, Sometimes You Have to Be a Little Bit Naughty as a Beautiful Picture Book, just diving diving deeper because this is some real talk, Tim. I do want to ask you about your relationship with your body of work. Here's one song from one musical that's had a beautiful second life in, as a picture book. How often do you go back to your past work? You just mentioned how it's associated with a particular time in your life and no doubt all your other things, whether they're musicals, albums, TV shows, film roles, do you go back? Do, do you dwell? Do, do you revisit? Or are you very much someone who only looks forward? Um, no, I revisit. In fact, I've got a, a note in my phone. Uh, I, I, it crossed my mind that I have so many songs that I've played live for years that haven't been recorded in a studio environment that would probably suit it. So I was thinking I'd put out an album called uh, Backlog or, or The Vault or something and basically record a bunch of songs. And, and I go back and it really depends on the material. I go back and listen to, you know, Beauty is a Harlot or Drowned or um, some really early work I dug up that I don't think even you've heard, Sammy. I've known you for Oh, 20 years almost. Um, In fact, I wrote songs. Beauty's a Harlot for you. Uh, yeah, memory right. me correctly. Actually, you and I have never been in the same room mm. together. Um, uh, so, so there's actually some really old stuff that I'm appreciating now with that 20 years under my belt and sort of feeling proud of. There's other work that the, the work that your listeners are probably more likely to know me for, which was my satirical stuff mm. and my political stuff, which I have no desire to revisit for, a, you know, in, for, for many reasons, including that the sort of way irony is used in culture now has altered. Um, we, we talk about uh, comedy and offence and everything as if, as if we're on this wonderful forward movement of justice um, and and maybe that's the case, but I think it's actually more subtle than that. I think the way irony is used in culture 
alters over time. And so there's stuff I wouldn't do now because I don't think it would land on the same ears, as in I don't think I could presume people would have a generous interpretation of how I was using irony. I'm always wrestling with this in terms of it's a new world. The internet didn't exist as we know it. Like 2006 was when YouTube arrived. Is is it as simple as that, that it's a mass audience, you can't control how it's being received, or is it actually as simple as the world has changed and and sensibilities have changed and rightly so, so people just get older and and grow up? I think sensibilities have changed. I don't know if rightly so is correct. I think there are a lot of things happen because of the way the internet works, because of the algorithms uh, favouring outrage and um, the fact that you get a lot more likes for declaring how bad your life is than how good your life is. Um, I think there's a lot of things we'll look back on and go, that was well-meaning but actually didn't help the people we thought it would help. And I think the loss of irony could be devastating to culture. I think laughing in the face of things that are painful is very important and we might be losing our gift for that. Um, and I completely reject the idea that as a straight white man, I can't have an opinion on that. I think I think people of all colours and genders and sexes are... Um, can have a love of irony and a love of laughing at the things that um, otherwise would make us suffer. Um, um, but there's also things that I, I did at the time because to agitate something that was happening at the time that is just no longer applicable. This is the Sammy J Snack Pack. And here we are pulling back into the driveway of our lives so we can return to the house of existence. Thank you for sharing these minutes with me. School holidays is about to arrive, so I'll be off for a couple of weeks. You can take that time to either delve back into the back catalogue of all the Snack Pack episodes that are available wherever you get them or on the ABC Listen app, or... Just have a couple of weeks without my voice. God knows I could use that. Very special thanks to my sound wizard, Ross Kavanagh, and my beautiful breakfast radio family on ABC Radio Melbourne. Take care of yourselves. Catch you in a couple of weeks. Simon is the owner of The Missing Goat. G'day, Simon. Hi, how are you? What do you know about it? Do you know where it might have wandered to? Well, we we don't know. The goat's got um, some legs, but we came home after um, having a great lunch and... um, Anyway, the goat's gone. It's been here for seven years, and uh, we'd love to have it back. Okay. So have you, do you keep it in the back? Have you got a paddock or, like, a garden? Where do you keep it? No, it's in the, in the front yard under a lemon tree. It's, um, it was tethered. I got the goat seven years ago on a wine weekend, so it's not a real goat, as we all know. So I want all the listeners Sorry, to know. Sorry, what? It's not a real goat. It's not a real goat? No, it's not. What, what type of goat is it then, Simon? It's a polystyrene goat. weighs about 10 kilos. <laughs> I, I thought, it, you, it, it, I it thought you were still. missing a goat, Simon. That's... And we are, we are. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, on a technicality, but I was like, oh, well, this deserves radio airtime, Simon. Yeah, I know that. 